if you're joining us for the first time or uh, for the first time in a while, um, we've started a new series just after Easter called Shepherding Your Child's Heart, uh, which is kind of a change up here for us at Redeemer. We typically are working through the Bible, through books of the Bible with the grain of scripture. I talk about working with the grain of scripture and kind of starting in a book and working through it are big chunks of scripture. Um, but this is a change up for us a little bit. It's not our fastball, but it's more of an off-speed pitch as we work across the grain of scripture looking at a topic considering what God has to say to that across multiple books of the Bible and kind of consolidating some of that and bringing it together. Some of the content in this series is coming out of a book I found a lot of helpfulness to in my own parenting. It's called Shepherding a Child's Heart. We actually have copies of this out in the front of the building on your way out. If you don't have a copy of this book, this is our gift to you today. Uh, stop by and pick one up. Encourage you uh, to read it, process it, think through it. Um, allow its biblical wisdom to saturate your life and kind of soak into the parenting that you do um, in your home and with your children or with your grandchildren or with your nieces and nephews or with the kids in your classroom. Um, wherever it is that you interface or interact with kids in the next generation, allow that to soak in and saturate and, 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 and dwell on it a little bit and allow it to have some influence in your life. So if you do have a copy of this, don't pick up another one unless you're going to give it away to a friend, then feel free to grab one and give it away to somebody. Um, but I found it to be helpful. This morning we're in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, verses four to nine is where we're gonna be. It'll be on the screen for you if you don't have a copy in front of you uh, to read and follow along with us. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter six, verses four to nine, where Moses writes these words. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now this is the second message in this series, Shepherding Your Child's Heart, and last week we took a look at the centrality of the heart in the Bible. That the heart is the command center for life. It's where every deed and every word, it flows downstream into the life out of the heart. The heart is the place of our affections and priorities and commitments. In the Bible, we think with our heart. We value with our heart. We emote with our heart. It's not just the seat of our emotions in the Bible, but it's where all of life comes from. The book of Proverbs in chapter four says the, the heart, out of the heart comes the wellsprings of life and it flows out. And we talked about how as parents in the lives of our kids, we have to learn to get underneath the behavior to the heart condition that's driving that behavior as we try and shepherd them. Right, that it's not enough just to address the externals, but we've got to get under the surface. And we talked about addressing the source of their behavior, not just the symptoms. And we talked about asking questions that kind of help unearth some of those heart conditions as opposed to always just making statements to correct the external behavior, but asking questions to get underneath to the heart. That's where we were last week. This week, we're going to take a look at this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6 um, and, and also some other passages that will come into play here for us as we look at our role as parents or as grandparents or as aunts and uncles or as teachers in the church or in school systems or anywhere that we might interface with the next generation as those who are called by God to instruct, as those who are called by God to teach. 
The book of Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell sermon to the people of Israel. It's right before Moses dies and Israel enters into the land of promise. Now, if you think I preach for a long time, Moses, here's 33 chapters of a sermon for you, all right? 33 chapters of Moses' preaching that he lines out and then a farewell kind of epilogue at the end in chapter 34. And he's, he's kind of re-articulating and re, 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 kind of regurgitating the commands of God to the people of God before they go into the land of promise and reminding them, trying to secure their hearts for God. And that's what Deuteronomy is. And in this particular text in Deuteronomy, in verses four to nine of chapter six, we see a central confession that runs through the vein of the whole Old Testament. It was called the Shema. It was what the Israelites and the Jews would repeat on a daily basis to remind themselves of who God is and who they were in relationship to him and how they should respond accordingly. And so in Deuteronomy chapter six, in verse four, you see this statement. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now that's reinforcing other statements throughout the Old Testament, this theme of the uniqueness of God throughout the Old Testament. In other words, there is none who compares to him. In Isaiah chapter 40, in fact, Isaiah asks that question, who is there that you can liken unto God? Who is it that you can compare unto him? And the rhetorical answer to that, or that, the answer to that rhetorical question is no one, that there is no one who compares to him, that there is no one who is his equal, that there is no one who is like God, that he is in a category all to his own, that he is infinitely unique, that he, though one, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That wasn't fully fleshed out in Deuteronomy chapter six, but it would be throughout the rest of biblical revelation, that God is Father, that God is Son, that God is the Holy Spirit. But they are bound together in one essence that is God. There are three who's, Father, Son, and Spirit, one what, who is God. It is, there is no one like him, infinitely unique and absolutely majestic. There's no one who compares, there's no one who likens, there's nobody who rises to his level of being. There's no being like him on the face of the planet or in the universe. That's one of the central themes of the Old Testament because the people of Israel continue to turn away and chase after lesser gods and idols and and God continually through his prophets and through his priests, through his teachers, he would call the people back to himself because there is no one like him. There is no one who can satisfy like him. There is no place of security outside of him. There is no source of significance that you can find that would give you any greater joy in life than in God. And God is securing the affections of his people over and over and over and over again. God is infinitely unique. And I want you to notice that on the heels of that statement of the infinite uniqueness of God come two responses. How do you respond to this God who is absolutely beyond comparison to anything that you can experience here on the face of this earth? And Moses says there is a personal response that is necessary to this God and there is a generational response that is necessary to this God. Let's look at the personal one first because if you miss the personal one, it doesn't matter what you do with the generational one. You never will do the generational one if you miss the personal one, okay? So there's a personal response. Listen to what Moses says. He says that our response to this infinite God is to treasure him, is to internalize everything that he says, See, many of us think that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, here's one of law and here's one of love. 
We think that the God of the Old Testament is just concerned about obedience to an external code of behavior, but the God of the New Testament is concerned about our hearts. But I want you to consider that from Genesis to Revelation, God is after the heart. He's not just after our hands, what we do, but he's after our heart, the desires that drive our deeds and decisions. In fact, when our first parents fall in the garden and they, before they ever laid their hands on the fruit or put it into their mouth, their hearts had already wandered, wandered from God in a sense of that they distrusted him. They wanted to be like him and rise to his level. It was their heart that drove their hands to take of the fruit and eat it. And their eyes were opened. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see that God is after the heart of his people, not just their hands, not just their deeds, but their desires. And here in this text is no different. We see that what God desires is that we should love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. And that everything that he commands, Moses says, these words that I command to you today, they shall beware on your hearts. They should fill the command center of your life to give you direction and determine destinations and trajectories for all of your living. Moses says they should be on your heart. You should internalize them. That you shouldn't conform yourself to an external code of behavior, but you should internalize the very commands of God and in response to the infinite uniqueness of God, and live a life in which he is your treasure, the thing that is most valuable to you, that his infinite worth and majesty will be set on display in your life because your heart has been captivated by him and you love him with everything that you have, your heart, your soul, your might, and his word is constantly on your heart. So that like the the psalmist says in Psalm 119 that we would hide the word of God in our hearts that we would bury it deep within, that it would fill that command center so that we might not sin against God and rebellion against him. God is after your heart and the way that you and I respond personally to this infinitely unique God is by internalizing what he has to say to us, by taking it in, treasuring it, valuing it above all other counsel, all other worldly wisdom, that we give ourselves to it. This is his command to us. See, God is not looking for rote obedience or ritual compliance, but he's looking for a heart that treasures him above all things and treasures his word as of great value. So a part of the great aim of your life, if you're in this room this morning and you're a Christian, a part of the great aim of your life is to give yourself to places and pathways that would cultivate affections for God that would secure priorities and commitment to God and that would stir your passions for God from the heart. That it would be, you would take it in, it would be internalized. It would be a personal response so that you would give yourself to Bible reading. It's one of the pathways that God has given us to stir our affections and our hearts for him, that we give ourselves to Bible reading, right? Because nothing is going to be on our heart that is not in front of our eyes. In fact, what we fill our eyes with is what's gonna fill our hearts. And so we give ourselves to the word of God on a regular rhythmic basis, right? We give ourselves to Bible reading. We give ourselves to prayer, prayer. 
of getting on our knees before God and recognizing the own, our own condition of our hearts, right? That they are prone to wander, as the old hymn says, and prone to leave this God whom we love and who has loved us so well. And so we get on our knees and we ask God, God, would you secure my heart for your praise? Will you secure my heart for your name? Because I feel its proneness to wander and to abandon you. And so you get on your knees before God in prayer that you give yourself to private and public worship so that both when no one else is looking and when everyone else can see that you're aiming to live a life that is congruous, that is filled with integrity where the expressions of your mouth as you sing praise and, 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 and to give honor to God are actually the overflow of your heart from Monday to Saturday whenever you gather with the church on Sunday. Right? There's an integrity there about life where privately you're living and aiming for the glory of God. Publicly you're living and aiming for the glory of God in all of your public and private worship. That you give yourself to biblical community with other men and other women who would do things that the Bible calls us to do for one another. They would admonish us. They would exhort us. They would encourage us. They would challenge us. They would care for us. They would love us. They would spur us on toward love and good deeds. That we give ourselves to biblical community. See, a part of the great aim of your life, if you're a Christian, as we said before, is to give yourself to places and pathways that would stir your affections for God. This great, infinite, unique God that you would internalize what he has to say and it would, become a part of the, it would become a part of the fabric of your life. That's what God is aiming for. He's not just aiming for external compliance. He's after your heart. Now this is so, this is so vital and here's why. Here's why, because if you do not respond personally to God, if God is still just some distant deity in your mind whom you come and you, we sing songs and maybe you give an offering and maybe you open the Bible once a year or you, 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 you know, infrequently and he's just some distant deity who is out there, right? But you feel like your children are slipping away from you and you want to have generational impact on them. You will not have generational influence without personal response before God because you cannot instruct others in what you're not internalizing yourself, right? You've got to begin to internalize the, the word of God, the teachings of God, who he is and respond to him personally, and so this morning, if you're here and you're here because your kids are going off the rails and you're just looking to try and bring them back on, maybe the first step for you is to personally respond to this infinite, unique, absolutely majestic and glorious God who has revealed himself through his word. That you would respond and begin to internalize his truth before you ever try and instruct others in it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words I command to you today, they shall be on your heart. It's got to start with us, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles, teachers. It's got to start here. Has it started here for you? I can't answer that question for you. But I hope before God that you would wrestle with it? Are you giving yourself to those places and pathways that would stir for you affections, priorities, establish and secure commitments? 
Because not only does Moses talk about a personal response to God, but a generational one. A generational one. And that's where we're gonna spend the rest of our time this morning. Not only are we called to internalize this truth, but we're also called to instruct our kids and the next generation and those who would come after us in it. See, a part of Israel's issue and the reason that you, when you read the Old Testament, uh, uh, it's interesting when you get out of Deuteronomy and you get into Joshua and then Judges and you see Israel going through these cycles of rebellion and disobedience where they would turn away from God and they would worship the gods of the other nations and God would judge them and he would send other, other countries to, to conquer them and they, they, would be, they would be the instruments of God's hand against his people to discipline them and bring them back and they would cry out to God for deliverance and God would deliver them and then he would establish them again once in the land and they'd have autonomy and freedom and rule and reign and then they would rebel again and they would just go through this cycle over and over and over and over again. And a part of the reason that they were not having generational influence and in passing down the, the teachings of God themselves because they had ceased to internalize them the adults had ceased to internalize them before they tried to instruct. But there's still a call to instruct. Look at what he says in the text in verses seven and following. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. See, a part of the, another theme that runs throughout the Old Testament is this idea of having generational influence and passing down what God has done in this generation and commending his works to the next, right? Psalm 145, the psalmist says that we are called to commend the works of the Lord to the next generation. We're to speak about what God has done. Well, you can't speak about what, you can speak abstractly and objectively about what God has done in history, but what about in your life if you're not internalizing the very words that God has spoken and the things that he's taught us about himself? And our call as parents is to internalize and instruct, internalize and instruct, internalize and instruct. Personal response to this infinite God, generational response to this infinite, unique, majestic, and glorious God. Internalize and instruct. But notice how he says we should teach. He should teach diligently. Diligently. Now that word in the Hebrew literally means this. It means to impress or to repeat. To impress or to repeat. In other words, these are not one-off conversations that we're having with our children, right? Where we talk to them one time about God. We talk to them one time about obedience. We talk to them one time in their 18 years in our home about purity. We talk to them one time, right, about, about honoring God and, and loving God. We, it's not one-off conversations that we go, okay, I'm gonna have this conversation when he's one and this conversation when he's two and this conversation when he's three and this conversation. It's not that kind of a, 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 a vision that Moses has here. He says there should be a repetition that's built into your family rhythms by which you're constantly in contact with the word of God as you're passing it down, internalizing and instructing. There's a, there's a, rhythm, there's a rhythm to that, to impress it upon them. They should be taught again and again and again and again and again, right? To leave an impression on the lives and the hearts of our kids. I don't know if, you, if, if, if in your home you have carpet. We have carpet in our living room and the bedrooms, but every once in a while I get a wild hair and I actually clean the carpets, right, with like an actual deep cleaning shampoo machine, 
right, to get some of that yucky dirt that just gets ground in over the course of time and pulled up and out. But whenever I get that wild hair, whether it's every six months or six years, some of you are like, I'm never going to that dude's house now. But when I get that wild hair and I start moving furniture around, right, you just move coffee tables and couches and get those cleared out so you have a better access to all the areas of the living room. What you see is where that coffee table is set or where that couch has set because it's had constant contact over time with some weight applied to it. What's there in the carpet? There's an indentation there, isn't there? There's an impression there where you see the legs of the table where they've rested for months and months and months. It's pressed down, sometimes crushes the fibers of the carpet because it just rests there. It creates an indentation. And that's what Moses has in mind when he says, teach them diligently. That they're to be impressed upon the lives and the hearts of our kids because there's constant contact they have with them. So it's happening not just when they show up here on Sunday mornings. If you have a kid in first through or birth through fourth grade, they're here learning the truths of God. But listen, it's not just happening in here once a week, but it's happening Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday within our homes, within our family rhythms. And we're repeating those same lessons over and over and over and over again because your kids are just like you. They don't get it the first time. They're just like me. I don't get it the first time. And, but, but kids are a little bit different than us because they delight in repetition. It's amazing, right? G.K. Chesterton says this. Some of us are thinking, man, if I repeat the same lessons over and over again, my kids are gonna get bored and they're gonna just lack interest and they're gonna wander off. But listen to what Chesterton said. It's an amazing quote. He says this, he says, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, do it again. And the grown up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> For grown up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible, but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never grown tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy for we have sinned and grown old and our father is younger than we. And the older we get, the less we can handle repetition and monotony, but the younger our kids are, the more they delight in it. And a part of your call as a parent, for those of you who have young children in the room, is to continually, repeatedly impress with constant contact to leave an impression in their lives that would create an indentation on their soul and on their heart that the Holy Spirit, that you're stacking wood constantly in their lives until the Holy Spirit comes along and says, burn. That's our call, to diligently instruct. Now some of you in the room, you're thinking, man, you don't know my life. Right? You don't know about gymnastics on Monday nights and baseball on Tuesday nights and soccer on Wednesday nights and everything else that we've got going on throughout the week. You don't know my life. Listen, I do know your life. Right? I do. I'm, I'm, I'm just as busy as you are, right? 
I feel that pull because some of you are thinking, so right now I've got to lock down like an hour a day to impress these truths on my kids, right? That's what you're thinking, right? You go to the end of the extreme, like the end of the spectrum, you go, okay, I've got, I got to find an hour a day now to impress the truths. Where, where am I going to get that time? That is not what Moses envisions here. What Moses envisions here is that this constant contact with the word of God, that you are internalizing yourself and then instructing personal response to the infinite God, generational response to the infinite God, that you build that into the regular rhythms and routines of your family life day after day after day after day. Listen to what he says. He says, when you what? When you, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Anybody sit in your house? Some, sometimes, right? The older your kids get, probably the less you do. But sometimes you sit in your house, right? Just the, earlier this week. Last week I told you how terrible of a father I was, right? I just kind of lowered the bar really low at the beginning of the message last week and talked to you about all the times I've sinned against my kids and how I had to go to them in confession and ask for their forgiveness and repent. This week, by God's grace, I've just been saturated in this content and so it's been on the forefront of my mind and so I've been trying to apply what I'm trying to teach. I've been trying to internalize what I'm trying to instruct. Right? So earlier this week, we were, we were preparing dinner uh, Wednesday evening. Right? My wife, from the time that, I, I'll brag on her for a moment, my wife, from the time that our kids were young, she said, we, we will eat dinner at the table as frequently and as often as possible as a family. We will prioritize that time. And she, she has held us to it, right? So four to five nights a week, we are around the dinner table together as a family, right? And so we're preparing dinner on Wednesday evening. I didn't have any meetings that night and our kids are playing in the, in the living room. And so they're, they're in there with toys and just hanging out. And I hear one of them ask the other, hey, what would you do if you had all the money in the world? His imagination of a kid, right? And so they start talking about all the houses they'll buy one day and the cars they're gonna drive one day and the pools they're gonna build, right? And the backyards of these houses and the ponds they're gonna have and the land they're gonna, all this stuff. They start talking about all these possessions. And as they're talking, it's, it's as if it, it, the Holy Spirit just began to impress on my heart Proverbs chapter 30. In Proverbs chapter 30, where the, where the author of the proverb says this, he says, there's just a couple of things I ask of you, God. Keep lying and falsehood far from my lips and give me neither poverty nor riches. Because if I have riches, I won't feel like I need you. If I have poverty, I'll be inclined to steal and profane your name. So give me neither of those, but meet my needs. And so I'm listening to this conversation and God's just kind of slapping me upside the head with Proverbs 30. And so we sit down at the dinner table that night and just because it was convenient, I pull out my phone, it's right there in my pocket. I open up Proverbs 30, scroll down and I, and I say, hey guys, let's pray together. So we pray as a family and then as we sat there at the dinner table, I said, as you guys start to eat, I wanna read the scripture to you. So I read Proverbs 30 to them. And, so I, and then we spend a few moments, five minutes, talking about riches and poverty and the ends of that spectrum and the need for God on both ends and for God just to meet our needs. It's a five minute conversation around the dinner table because we're sitting in our home. We're sitting in our home. Do you sit in your home ever with your family? Redeem that time. Redeem that time, don't waste it. After that conversation, Caleb goes, he, I wasn't gonna say his name, but now I outed him. He goes, if I had, if I had all the money in the world, Daddy, I'd build a church. 
And then Sarah goes, so would I, then I'd build a pool. <laughs> All right, making progress. Right? But this, this constant contact, do you ever sit in your house? Do you ever walk by the way, right? Do you ever walk by the way? Do you ever go from one place to another? You may not walk anymore, but what do you do? You jump in the SUV, you jump in the sedan, you jump in the Camry, the Corolla, the Acadia, the Suburban, the, the minivan, wherever you're going. You jump in the car and you drive from place to place. Don't waste that time, redeem that time. As you have time moving from place to place throughout the community, right? On, on Friday night, I, I took Caleb fishing after he got out of school and we're driving, he, he's just inquisitive. Like he's in a season where he's asked question after question after question after question after question. And some days I just get so exasperated by the questions, I just don't want to answer them anymore, right? But we went fishing Friday night and we were out on the lake as the sun was setting and he, he asked me this question. He said, Daddy, what's the coolest thing you've ever seen? What's the coolest thing you've ever seen? And I said, well, bud, that's a good question. And I had to think for a moment. And I said, I think the coolest thing I've ever seen, there's things two of them. One is the day that you and your sister were born and to see life come into the world. And I said, the second one is the times that I've spent in the mountains and seeing the sun rise over the peaks and set beyond them. It's just, just gorgeous. And I said, and, 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 and I just took just a, a few moments and I said, you know, you know what? You know why those are the coolest things I've ever seen or two of the coolest things I've ever seen? And I what, why? I said, because they both made me feel very, very small. I, I don't have the power to bring life into the world. And I don't have the artistic capability to create that kind of beauty. It made me feel very, very small. It reminded me of the wonder and the mystery and the majesty of God. Two minute conversation. And he goes, oh, Okay. <laughs> Do you ever go walk by, the, are you ever just spending time with them? Listen, part of, the, part of the problem for us as parents is oftentimes we want to try and schedule quality time with our kids. That doesn't work, right? The quality time that you will redeem will be because you schedule quantities of time with your kids, right? You can't say, I'm gonna have quality time with my daughter on Monday night at, from 7 to 7.30 and we're gonna quality that sucker out, Right? <laughs> No, the reason you have those moments is because you spend inordinate amounts of time with your kids. You carve out quantities of time with them. As you, and, and you redeem those moments as you move from place to place to place, as you engage in other activities, as you go by the way. Do you ever lie down at night? You ever put your kids to bed? Those of you who have young kids, you, 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 you lie down with them sometimes, right? When you're not falling asleep yourself because you're so exhausted at the end of the day. Or sometimes you fall asleep in bed with them as you're putting them to sleep. True confessions, right? You ever, lied, you ever laid them down in the evening and just take, redeem those moments. Say, hey, let's thank God for everything that he's done for us today, in our lives today. Let's thank God, or let's pray about those situations that you encountered at school today with a friend who was unkind or the way that your heart wanted to respond in that moment as you're asking questions, remember? Getting under the surface and coming to God in prayer with them, redeeming that moment of time as you lie down with them or as you lie them down. Do you ever wake up in the morning? Do you ever rise out of bed? Do you ever get your kids up, take them to school, eat, fix breakfast, get them out of the house? 
This is because of Karen's schedule and having to be at school earlier um, these days. I am the one who's getting my kids up every morning and getting them breakfast at the table, getting them into the car, getting them to the school, most of the times by eight o'clock, sometimes by 8.05, right? And so that's just <laughs> keeping it real, all right? But that five-minute drive to and from school, that five-minute drive to and from school, one of the things that I do, and this is one of the ways we want to help you as parents, is, we t- is I take this little sheet right here as, as, as a church. If you have a kid who is in our kids' ministry every Sunday, they're going to get this sheet every week. And this sheet every week is going to have a synopsis of the lesson but the big truth that they're being communicated to that, about God in that lesson. It's also going to have a memory verse. I think they're every other week, right? The memory verses come out. And so for two weeks, every, every, every two weeks, they're getting a new memory verse. And so what, what I try to do is every morning that drive to school, a little five-minute drive, I say, hey, what's our memory verse? What's our memory verse? And so sometimes I have to kind of prime the pump a little bit, right? Because they, they, they don't know sometimes. So I prime the pump a little bit. Was, wasn't it Exodus? Oh, yeah, Exodus. Didn't it, say, didn't it start with God said, I will, yeah, I will take you as my people and you, I will be your God and you will be my people? Yeah. And so they, they recite their memory verse on the way to school, right? It's just redeeming those moments in the regular rhythms and routines of life and not wasting them. Because if you're like me, listen, if you're like me, my tendency is to always be thinking three steps ahead of where I am in the moment, right? It's just, I'm just wired that way. I don't know why. I wish I wasn't sometimes that I could just sit in the moment and so sometimes I have to fight that natural tendency to be thinking about where, like, after I drop the kids off, where am I, who's on, who am I meeting? Where am I going? And just be in the moment with them and carve out quantities, quantities of time for them because it's in that quantity of time that you will find those moments of quality time. So I'm not adding an hour a day to your schedule. What I'm asking you to do is take the rhythms and routines of your ordinary family life and begin to redeem those moments as you lie down in the, in, at bed, to, to bed in the evening, as you rise up, as you eat breakfast, as you have dinner, as you sit in your home, as you go to and from places throughout the day. That you would internalize and instruct. There'd be a personal response to this great, infinite, unique God and there would be a generational one because of those things that you're internalizing, you're passing down. You're commending the works of the Lord, not just objectively, yes, in his work in Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sins that we as sinners might have eternal relationship with him, but also the way that he has brought about that in your life, the way that he's working in you, the things that he's changing in your own heart. Do you see that? Redeem that time. Because here's what's at stake if we don't. Here's what's at stake if we don't. You and I, as parents, or as grandparents, or as teachers, or as aunts and uncles, we are discipling the next generation one way or the other. We're instructing them one way or the other. We're setting values and precedents for them one way or the other, right? We're either discipling them in the word and the ways and the will of God, or we're discipling them and teaching them and instructing them in other ways, they're catching what family structures should look like from the way that you respond to your wife or your husband and how that you relate to them as children. They're picking up on that. What should a family look like? How should it function? They're catching that from you. They're catching the priority of God in your life 
They're catching it by the things that you say and the things that you don't say. Right? If we fail to redeem that time and those regular rhythms, they will, there will be an absence of conversation about God, about his truth, about his word, about his ways and about his will in your home. And the only time they will catch it will be on Sunday mornings whenever you drop them off here on the weeks that you're here. Or whenever they come Wednesday nights to student ministry, whenever they go to camp with us during the summer. If we're not redeeming that time in those regular rhythms, we're communicating something to them. We're showing them what matters most to us. They see it by how we respond to success and failure. They see it how we prioritize our finances. They see it by what we do with our time and what we carve out time for and what always gets cut. So we're either discipling them in the word, ways, and will of God or we're discipling them in baseball and tournament teams and travel or we're discipling them in, uh, in gymnastics or we're discipling them in soccer. We're discipling them in fishing and hunting. We're showing them how to camp really well, man. But are we, taking, are we taking and internalizing the truth and instructing? Because if we fail to do that, you, we don't, what you don't realize you're discipling them one way or the other because you're passing something along to them. And they're seeing your priorities and they're seeing your values and they're seeing what matters most to mom and dad and what should matter to us. We will make disciples one way or the other. Now, What I, what I, as we close here this morning, what I, what I want to say is that some of you right now, you, you may feel a little bit beat up. And I told you last week, I didn't want to just drive by guilt parents in the room. That's why I started by saying, I'm a terrible dad, <laughs> right? I fail and falter. Like I'm inconsistent in some of these things. I have wasted more moments of time than I have redeemed in the lives of my kids, but here's what I want to encourage you to do. Whether your kids are in diapers or whether they're getting ready to go to college, wherever they are along that spectrum, that by God's grace, this week you would give yourself to places and pathways that would stir your affections for God, that would, that would solidify priorities and commitments, that you would read his word, that you would get on your knees in prayer, that you would be a part of public worship more frequently and private worship would be more rich in your life as you remember the infinite uniqueness of God and you would begin to internalize and instruct Next week, we're gonna talk more about what are we trying to impress upon our kids at different developmental stages of their lives and some, some, some procedures for doing so. But this week, what I wanted to do is just lay a framework for you. Last week, we talked about the heart. This week, we're looking at instruction. Next week, we'll talk about developmental stages from infancy to childhood, from ch through the years of childhood on into their teens as they launch out into adulthood. But this week, maybe the step for you, maybe the step for you is to begin to internalize. And maybe the step for you is to redeem a moment of time this week with your kid. Would you pray with me? Father, we come today grateful and needy. God, I confess that in my own life, God, I, I, there have been occasions and seasons in which 
God, there's been more consistency for me than others. Father, I'm grateful for your grace and spurring me towards that and I pray that it would spur all of us towards that. Father, I pray for the, the man or the woman in the room who has maybe received a generational influence from their parents but never really fully personally responded to you. They would internalize the truth of who you are and how they should relate to you, that they would begin to make you their treasure. They would see the lengths to which you went to demonstrate your love. For we whose hearts have rebelled and wandered away, God, that you secured our affections for you and our hearts for you through the sending of your son. And that it's only through the gospel that our hearts can be can, we can have a new heart, that our hearts can be made anew and afresh, God, even though we would still struggle with the flesh and we would still struggle with, with, uh, with, with sin and influences around us, God, the world, the, the flesh and the devil, God, that we would still wrestle with those, that there would be a desire in our hearts to obey you because you are our treasure. And God, if there's those in the room who have never internalized that truth, God, I pray this morning that you would awaken them to that. And as they begin to internalize, they would begin to pass down personally what they've received, generationally in the lives of their kids as they instruct them with constant contact, redeeming moments because they've carved out quantities of time and they're utilizing those moments well. Help us not to waste those and to look back years from now with lots of regret. But wherever we are right now in seasons of parenting, God, would you help us to lean into them? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.